<laughs> Hello, home video viewers. Uh, this voice you're hearing is Ryan Johnson. Hello, I'm the writer and director of Knives Out. Sitting, uh, the disembodied voice sitting to my right is... Noah Segan. I play Trooper Wagner. The heart of the film. <laughs> and then the, the voice to his right is... Steve Yedlin. I was the cinematographer on the film. Yeah. Let's listen to Nathan Johnson's score. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this first shot, this is early in the morning. We had our effects guys kind of pump that fog in, and then these two doggos, very good boys, uh, they're running from one trainer in the distance to another trainer right next to the camera. Remember, we had a lot of trouble getting them right by the camera, actually. I think we had to, like, build a little ramp for them to run onto. Yeah. Well, the ramp was also so that they wouldn't just go dive straight, straight down, down out of the bottom of the shot, right. too, yeah. Edie Patterson right here, who is a incredible actor and comedian. Wonderful writer. So those little inserts, I mean, it's kind of inspired by the 1970s movie Sleuth, a lot of this stuff in this house. That guy, Jolly Jack the Sailor, is a direct reference to Sleuth. But uh, all of the crazy little things in this house, I, um, you know, it's supposed to be sort of all of Harlan's obsessions. And a lot of those initial inserts were automatons which are like actually little clockwork robots. So that guy who was up on the ladder, when you wind him up, he like does a somersault on the ladder. And the drunk guy, he like takes a drink from the, from the mug. It's a, uh, yeah, it's kind of this whole little subset of. And we should note that we went from the real house to. Too late. <laughs> what we built, we, this is what you built, though. This, this is, is what, what you built. and Steve built. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> to accommodate uh, uh, that cool house. That's yeah. true. Yeah, augment that cool house. Also, we had to paint out some of the blood that we had on set there because to get our PG-13. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you had to paint it back. Wow. <laughs> this, uh, this we shot, uh, this is one of the few things that we shot not in or around the house. This is down in Boston. This is actually a neighborhood in Boston that Whitey Bulger, the the gangster. Oh, yeah? He, the, he, the, he was he hiding in, there? He grew oh, up he was... in. No, he's dead. He's dead. Well, no, like, <laughs> I'm sorry they, to break it to you. Didn't they find him hiding? They found him hiding, right? And like, then... on, on the iPad, this voice, we have the nanny cam footage. I don't know if everyone recognizes it was Joseph Gordon-Levitt doing his best David Caruso impression. <laughs> And this is Marlene Forte, who plays the mom, and Shirley Rodriguez, who plays his sister. And Shirley is a, yeah, is a really terrific actress. I had read before for a couple other things. I was happy to find a thing for her to do here. Oh, I guess we did it anyway. I'm sorry, Martha. It's okay. This was also right at the beginning of the shoot. I think this was day this two was or day something. Day two, yeah, yeah, we did start here. Also in ADR, when we were recording Walt's lines, this whole thing that Walt doesn't understand the idea of color ID, <laughs> I thought was very funny. <laughs> yeah. I don't think it's a laugh out loud joke, but we'll come we'll we'll come back to this little security shed. It's a this is kind of our first taking in of the house with a drone shot. So we were shooting here 
in winter. We were shooting here basically, when did we start? December. Yeah, it was like October. Did we start late October, early uh, November? Yeah, thereabouts. Yeah, yeah, something like that, yeah. And all we were doing the whole time is just... Well, first of all, you can tell this is earlier in the shoot because there are leaves on the trees. And if you keep your eyes peeled, you'll see the leaves come and go over the course of the mm -hmm. movie. Um, also, we were just praying that it didn't snow. and uh, We didn't get much snow, did we? No, we got no snow, and we were just so lucky. Not knowing what to do next. Catherine Langford playing the part of Meg right here. You're part of this family. Thank you. And Jamie Lee Curtis. So this is uh, this beautiful mansion that we just found in the middle of Massachusetts, about an hour south of Boston. And uh, this is the, actually, we shot inside, outside of it. All this stuff kind of in the entryway at the bottom is, uh, is actually inside the mansion. This is a real space. And... Uh, I think Steve did a beautiful job. Oh, look at this guy! <laughs> oh, look at that. <laughs> Steve did a beautiful job of... Uh, Fix his tie. ...of capturing kind of the gorgeous light in this place, the steely light coming in from outside. So, how you, how you doing, doing <laughs> But then this is also a real location, but it's in another mansion nearby. Yeah, probably about 40, 40 minutes away. Yeah. Half hour away. And... Uh, yeah, this big library was there. We dressed it with all of this crazy stuff, like all of the props and the crazy, like, bearskin rugs and obviously the knife donut. Um, we brought all of that in, but uh, but this library was an existing location. So we understand that But I think because we were shooting all day long, Steve, you did set up lights outside. Yeah, reason. so the, uh, at the other location, we, as much as possible, just used the real steely winter light and augmented it with uh with lights that we that we would match to it but here uh it w we we did it more kind of traditional even though it was a location did a little more like a stage where the the lighting was kind of set up continuously mm -hmm. yeah uh <laughs> that, that bit about about uh where where fran is discussing her hairy guy that she dated with <laughs> jacob there's a detail you don't catch i probably should have lingered on it longer where walt realizes what's happening is chobbling up trying to stop her like jacob <laughs> over, man. i don't think it's all uh so this whole interrogation sequence um which is a, a big chunk of the first part of the movie it uh it was something where on the page it was always a really tough read. And I never, I, all the people that I gave the script to through all the revisions, I kept trimming it down. I kept like trying to make it more dynamic and clear. And I never didn't get the note that it was just, boy, those first 30 pages are really rough. And then it kicks into gear. And then at some point I kind of had to just say, God, I think it's just because you're meeting all these new people, you're seeing mm -hmm. all these names, there's all this complicated intercutting. Because the way that this intercuts with the flashbacks, this, that was all just like on the page. And so it's tough to kind of, it's yeah. a lot to read. Well, in, in the script, it's a real effort to remember which characters, which from a yeah. name you only just saw, but when it's right. an actor's face, you, you, there's no effort at all. To, or something to, on you know, the screen, to, you know, that actually... Which was a pretty yeah. late addition, actually. It was late in the editing process that I decided, that let's put titles on there, yeah. 
with each of the folks just to help. But help you know, me. credit to you. I mean, you didn't you didn't color code it. You didn't put it in. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like there was a version of it where you could have you right. could have really paint like literally painted by numbers. That would have been a good idea. Into actually. it, maybe <laughs> in the next one. Yeah. yeah. But the, <laughs> but uh, uh, I I do think you get a pretty good clear picture of who these yeah. folks are. But I'll just say that like all these interlocking flashbacks and everything, this was all just kind of on the page and then storyboarded. So we, when we showed up on the day, we were just getting the pieces that we needed um, mm -hmm. because yeah. we did not have a long time in terms of the shoot. It's a pretty quick shoot. Big fan. <laughs> Big fan. So Noah, Noah and I, we were uh, we we met. With Brick years ago, the first movie we did together years and years ago. First, my first film. My first film. Um, we met, and you did something that is not common with uh, young filmmakers, young actors, people who don't have a ton of experience. You just met people and like had a cup of coffee with them, yeah, and just got to know them, and um, and that was. In hindsight, either a, a, a benefit or a mistake for us because we because Big we mistake. just realized that we liked all the same stuff. We just became friends and became friends. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, and so we've been working <clears throat> working friends ever I, since. I feel like this role, though, I finally wrote you a role that gets to the soul of Noah Segan. <laughs> this is where the uh, the the Venn diagram of reality and. Fantasy sort of become a <laughs> become a, a filled in uh, solid circle. That's probably true. Yeah. We just saw like the little flashback to the cake. One of the things I love about the murder mystery genre and about like the fact that it kind of exists on these two separate timelines is this whole thing of dipping back into the previous timeline from different perspectives. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, Tony Collette. <laughs> <laughs> We only did a couple of takes of this because she and she picked this song. By the way, she was like, I was like looking at different songs, and she would like pick this Roxy Music song, and then we had to pay to clear it. <laughs> oh, but she's so good. I forgive you. What was I saying? What was I talking about? You're saying about the different perspectives. Yeah, that so, you can so, have. Yeah, and so dipping back into the past of these different perspectives, it's something that. You can do very easily with movies just the subtle thing of having the same shot, but it's a slightly different context. Never missed wiring a tuition payment to my schools. Catherine, I also love her shirt, which is a anatomical <laughs> diagram. I don't know if anyone knows this. That, that might have been how we kept our PG-13. I was going to say, they didn't catch that. They didn't catch that that's what that was. So I want to strike that. It's yeah. just an uh, abstract... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Eating a single baby carrot um, out of anger. As we do. Uh. <laughs> so this whole thing we tap in the piano, originally in the script, I had Blanc back behind Elliot, and he was supposed to tap the back of his chair with his foot every time he wanted him to ask a specific question. And then when we worked out the geography of the room, I figured I realized he was going to be too far away to do that. But this piano was back there, and but um, before the piano was, what you had, a, you had, you'd given him a kazoo. And he was <laughs> this going is not to just true. This is how rumors get started. No, uh, this is how the rumors get started. <laughs> Slide whistle. I, I have a question. I, I, don't, I, yeah. I don't know if I ever asked you this. Why do they all refer to the house as there instead of here uh, when they're in the house? 
because, yes, at some point I made this decision. It's because this looks, this room looks so different from the foyer where the rest of the thing is taking place. Gotcha. I felt like even though, yes, they are in the house, I, I felt like it would be clearer if when they're referring to there, it's when we're There's seeing, a, like, right. the kind of what looks like this other location that is, like, the house on the night, basically. Gotcha. I just so, yeah. buried my 85-year-old father who committed suicide. Jamie Lee Curtis, ladies and gentlemen. I'm here at the behest of a client. So I had ran into the script that Blanc speaks with a subtle... Southern accent. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Webster's Dictionary defines <laughs> subtle. <laughs> and, uh, and so I, when I cast Daniel, uh, we kind of got into it. He was like dug into it and we're like, okay, what is this accent going to be? He found reference of Shelby Foote, the historian, um, who is interviewed a bunch on uh, uh, Ken Burns' Civil War documentary and has a Mississippi drawl. So it's kind of that. It's a little foghorn, <coughs> leghorn. It's also a little Harlan Pepper, which is Christopher Guest's character on <laughs> Best in Show, which is funny because Christopher Guest is Jamie Lee Curtis's husband. And um, on set, I would occasionally just like... Oh, here's your Hamilton moment. Hamilton. <laughs> we found it. On set, I would occasionally just kind of drift into doing Harlan Pepper's uh, nut monologue. You remember he's in the car with his dog, he starts Beach naming nuts. nuts. Macadamia, Macadamia nuts. nut. Pine nut. <laughs> and I could see Daniel just kind of side-eye me, like, please stop. <laughs> this is my craft. <laughs> I mean, the other advantage of keeping Blanc back there and doing that piano thing for the first half of the scene is this is such a long scene, and to give it some shape, mm -hmm. to have it be kind of pre-Blanc and post-Blanc, so it feels like it's kind of kicked into another gear when he enters it and starts actually kind of digging into everybody. Um, anything to kind of give this whole sequence shape kind of would help. And this cut. Shit talking. My baby brother in front of a police detective and a state trooper. Walt doesn't run shit. That took a lot of finessing. <laughs> Bob Doucet, our amazing editor, Bob Doucet. Um, I remember he and I just like working it like one frame either way with wow. that cut from Jamie to Don to find the exact moment where she's opening her mouth to say the next word and then cutting in on Don there. And that little cut there is an example of something where we were always looking for things where we could steal and cut away to illustrate what they're talking about. And so that was stolen from the beginning of the scene that's about to happen next. And we just said, oh, well, if we can actually see them doing this when he's saying it, that would be... Right. Was it shot specifically to be from from Richard's perspective, or was it supposed to be originally from Walt's perspective? Well, that's the thing. It's a cheat, because that right. thing we cut to is from, you know, it's Richard just talking, but that thing we cut to is was just... Was from Walt's... Was presumably this, from... It's this shot right here. Right. It's, it's like another take of that, and we just stole a little piece of it just right. to illustrate it. So you were able to use something that came from a, a Walt moment right. as a Richard moment, because you had Richard's reaction. Steve, was this a... 
lampshade that we found? Yeah, so we found this like Baroque frilly lampshade and uh, it was just kind of an extemporaneous idea. We first did it um, in the scene when uh, when it tilts right. up from Joni and and you hear the thump on the floor just yeah. so that the ceiling wasn't blank. That's right. And then once we started doing it, we kind of made it a little theme in the in the house. And this was also, I shot, this is all, this is one take and we just hold this and I remember just shooting this with Michael and Christopher and then just making that terrifying decision to not get coverage <laughs> and just say, okay, this is, I'm going to lock myself into this is the scene. I can't shorten this or anything. We're just going to, so this is, this is the only coverage we got of this is this one, one shot. And we did a few takes of it, but this is like, we never had anything to cut away from, which is probably never a good idea, but with actors like this, <laughs> actors like this, you can get away with it. Michael Shannon, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Michael Shannon was also kind of the stealth VIP of improvised zingers mm -hmm. on set. Michael Shannon is very funny. <laughs> and I think some of the funniest lines in the movie are Michael Shannonisms. Mm -hmm. I'm not eating one iota of shit. Yeah, it's coming up later. Uh, well, that that uh, his his whole wild lines when he was improvising that oh is probably God. the hardest I've ever laughed in my life. I was in pain. <laughs> this is a pickup that we did. We faked this and put this in front of a green screen and then comped in like from one of the wide shots that we stole, just because we were a little worried that everyone's talking about ransom, but we haven't really gotten a good look at Chris. Mm -hmm. This bit where Chris walks out is the only thing where we see him and we don't see him that clearly. So mm -hmm. just to clarify that this is who we're talking about, we kind of manufactured um, that shot of that family portrait to connect them up. And I was surprised how well it yeah. worked. And, that, there, and there was very little additional photography. That shot was one of them, but it was we did one day and it was just a, a few inserts and tiny stuff. little yeah. inserts. Yeah, yeah, yeah completely. Yeah, that's true. We never we didn't have to reshoot any scenes or, and we didn't cut much out. There's really only two scenes that were cut out of the movie. One mm -hmm. is a when we'll have them as additional scenes here, but one of them was with Joni and Blanc, and the other was with Ricky Lindholm's character Donna and Blanc. I love Don in this. He cracks me up. Mm -hmm. this. He's such a good, he's so good at, at lying. Yeah, <laughs> he's yeah, like, yeah. Tell her or I will. You tell her. Noah, you're great in this shot. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank that, you. Took me a, yeah, all sorry day I couldn't make reduce up. the depth of field anymore. But. <laughs> oh, yeah. All day in makeup. Exactly. Can I say? I always like the eyeballs back there, right behind <laughs> Harlan. So this little study is in, in the real house. Uh, this is like an actual location, but this is one of the denser locations in terms of all the stuff on the shelves, and it's really beautiful. Christopher Plummer, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Mr. Plummer, besides being just a legend, he's also the sweetest man on the planet. Such a sweetheart, and he—I uh, would—I would. One of my favorite movies is *The Man Who Would Be King*, and mm -hmm. so I would just like sidle up next to, next to Plummer in between takes, and just try and get him talking about working with John Huston, which was amazing. This little look here that he gives. <laughs> uh, 
And this whole sequence, this whole thing, we 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 there wasn't much the big stuff that we cut out from this big from this whole sequence. But we did do a lot of little trims. Like I remember that cut to Joni saying the house which I think works really, really well. Originally, there was some other stuff. There was like an intro where Blanc like asked her, so you were the house too. And, then, and look at those eyes. And anything we found where we could just kind of like cut to the chase, it, it helped. I like this dolly, this little thing of this getting the spanking. I like that. And the good thing about having all of these different perspectives and interviews is that there are built-in redundancies, yeah. which you can either use to your advantage and say, hey, listen, somebody, we, we want to make sure that people hear this twice or three right. times to right. really get it, right. get it down for the, or our cup runneth over and we can, uh, exactly. we can save something here. And it's kind of a benefit of the, yeah. of the genre. Yeah. God, Tony is so good. From me. Please, you don't understand. Joni, I know Do you remember we actually thought that the, we were trying to like shore up the dolly because of that shake, and we realized he's actually shaking the yeah, table. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> it's actually kind of shaking. Yeah. yeah. It was just a, a money wiring issue with the office at the school, so I had to ask Harlan to cut a check for the semester. I think this little and she's gone bit from Lakeith was a on the day thing. Mm -hmm. I think he he just did that. Yeah. <laughs> All these funky little things. That like pug doll with like the fur coat on. So crazy. Yeah. I think this might have been the first shot we did with with Tony. And she, I think this was like take two, and I was like, that was perfect. And then when we moved on, and Tony looked at me panicked, like, really? You don't want more takes? And I was like, no, that was perfect. I think that's sort of something that every actor goes through when they first show up. Yeah. It's like, am I did, am I right on? And yeah. then they go, no, yeah, you're right on. You yeah. go, great, all right. Well, I guess <laughs> now this train's moving. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. Exactly. <laughs> With a cast like this, it was a this, lot of that. This baseball thing, I, I feel, I was a very late kind of addition because I had to figure out a way to get Linda back into the study to find the note at the end. Mm. And I think we were actually in prep when I came up with the baseball thing. The idea being it's his petty little angry gesture here that gets him caught, that he throws the baseball, Blanc picks it up, the dog gets it, Linda finds a baseball, says this belongs back on my dad's desk, and mm -hmm. that's what draws her back to the note. At least interesting. But God, we got so lucky with the weather and the light. Just the fact that we had this beautiful, steely, overcast day, the day that we were supposed to shoot this. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and we and when we scouted, it was so sunny, and we were we were talking about that steely winter light, uh, assuming we were actually going to get it, and we yeah. and we actually did for the most part. We also I mentioned that we were shooting in winter. I basically we we just before we came in to record, we were like, oh, this you know today like a year ago we were shooting exteriors, and the guy who owns the house just emailed us a picture and said this is what it looks like right now, and it's blanketed in snow. <laughs> we realized exactly how lucky we got. We had these uh, David Crank and our our uh, production designer printed these things up special. These uh, transparencies. Uh, transparencies, yeah. To, to do that specific gag with the window. Interestingly, though, this was a, a rainy day. Yeah. We made, we made, uh, um, we made some, some 
some sort of uh, uh, off-the-cuff choices to accommodate the rain on, <laughs> on this day, I think. Did we? I thought we just got rain done. Did we just get rain done? I think we did, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, Yeah. this was freezing, and it was raining. <laughs> you can see the breath coming out, of, <laughs> coming out of Daniel's mouth. Started at 15, and then he... He needed more help. Anna de Armas. Anna is a, a incredible. She is a Cuban actor who's she's done some very good work, but she's only started. She's only really been acting in in American films and Western films for a few years. She was in uh, the recent Blade Runner movie. She played the hologram girlfriend, and she was terrific, and she's been in a couple of other good things. But I wasn't really familiar with her work beyond that, and Mary Vernu, our casting director, brought Anna to my attention and said, you have to look at this actor. And the fact that Anna could kind of step into the middle of this insane cast, uh, not just like in terms of the names, but in terms of the talent and in terms of the size of the performances that everyone's giving, and the fact that she could step in the middle of this cast on day one and just confidently, to a large extent, you know, carry the movie is kind of amazing to me. She's she's really something. And then we got lucky that when the day we did this, it was sunny to yeah. contrast. Yeah, this it. was incredible that the that the flashback is sunny, which you know we we could have said we wanted that and it never would have happened. I know but, it's know. all really just just luck. <laughs> what is yeah. that that line by the way that he says? Why do men instinctively pull loose threads in their pants? Is that is that one hundred percent you, or is that it's a quote? me? I think wow. yeah. That's, unless that's unless I'm forgetting and I'm no. appropriated from somewhere. I mean, I'm going to appropriate it from you. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Just give me my 10% and I'm fine. <laughs> uh, puking into the pig. There we go. So the puke thing... <laughs> the puke thing was a... Uh, that was that was just kind of like a story thing. It was just like, okay, we know we're setting this thing up where you're going to kind of care about Marta. She's in this tough spot. Her only tool to get out of it is lying, so let's take away that one tool. And... I forget where I came up with the puke thing from. Just the idea of her having like a different tell or something, you know, but having it be a, a little more fun than just like she blinks twice or something. <laughs> we enjoy our work. Oh, <laughs> Johnny. What's up? Oh, my God. Yeah, bizarrely, that, too, with the sun. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Bizarre. I mean, all worked out. Yeah, they have lucky. these really nice, beautiful, bucolic yeah, exactly. <laughs> hang times together, those yeah. two. You and uh, Lakeith. Noah and Lakeith ended up really, really bonding, and we... we, we uh... <laughs> and we... And we also, we're like, you guys pitched a whole cop show spinoff based on these two characters. Yeah, we want to do a uh, we want to do a, a spinoff, and we want to call it OK Cops. <laughs> <laughs> and the tagline is 
They're fine. <laughs> and it's about me and Lakeith kind of solving every crime. Maybe like a few fall through the, like we get the important ones. Some of them don't quite work out. We also, you know, have, we have things to do, yeah. you know. Not, that's, not uh, too many innocent people are incarcerated. Yeah, exactly. yeah. And, and nobody really, you know, and if they are, it's a short, it's like, low, you know, low level, like, you know, no, the state are not very high we can't you know something really important happens we call benoit um and that's um, and that's our show well that was one nice i mean I, because in the whodunit it's kind of a trope that there's sort of the buffoonish like local cops i like their i like you guys being competent i like the fact that like you guys are you guys are okay cops you know you're we're pretty fine good. You're, you're fine you're pretty we're good fine, at your yeah. jobs and you yeah, and it's Blanc is the one who seems kind of wacky in the start, and you and Lakeith is pretty dialed in, you know. It's yeah, we're we're not bad at our jobs. We're just not, um, yeah. you know, specialized. I, I do admit say. we cut out a gag here where he talks about this envelope of cash, and Lakeith is like, "I'm gonna need that that for evidence." And Blanc goes, "Oh yes, of course," and he hands him the empty envelope. <laughs> <laughs> Also, we had these cigars special made. I think we had these specially rolled to be, like, incredibly long. I don't know if they read as long as they are, but those are insanely long cigars. So this whole sequence is fun, and also this, like, hops around a lot of different... So that was a set. This is, like, a little two-wall set. And it's this is like a real room. And here's the thing Steve was talking about where we threw this shadow on the ceiling when we realized we wanted to pan up to the ceiling and without something there, it was just panning up to nothing. So we just tossed that shadow up there, give it something. And again, David Crank, our production designer, he's amazing. This and the upstairs hallway and Harlan's upstairs office, this room right here, these are all builds on a stage. <laughs> Um, these are all sets, and I think he, David Crank did an amazing job. Crank is, he's collaborated with Jack Fisk on PTA's movies and Terrence Malick's movies, and he's an incredible designer. Also, David Schlesinger, who is our set decorator, he, um, he's the one who found all the incredible stuff in the house and filled it up with... All of those automatons I was talking about, all the details, all the fake book awards, all the book covers, all the crazy statues and tchotchkes and everything. Just amazing stuff. Yeah. I remember this was the first thing we shot with Michael, him smoking the cigar. Oh, right. And, and I remember being with Jamie Christopher, our first AD, and looking at the monitor and just watching Michael smoke a cigar. We were both <laughs> giggling. Yeah. <laughs> Although this is, a, we actually reshot it later. We did because yeah. she was too clear through the window back there. Hope no one's listening to this who hasn't seen the movie before. <laughs> It'd be terrible. But well, uh, there's going to be a different problem if they're listening to the commentary without having seen the movie. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, because in that shot, it was, and it's still, I don't know, I think you maybe you kind of buy it, but it, 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 for a while it was way too clear through that window back there, and also she looked too young, like, going down. I think we actually ended up having, like, I think we ended up having Daniel stand in, Ross, uh, do the, put on the robe and do it just to give it a slightly more yeah. hulking figure. Yeah, she figure. was too spry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I love that everything you say here is incorrect. 
when she left. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. Literally everything yeah. you say is wrong. He said, oh, yeah, but he says it. He says it with so with authority. Yeah. He's, it's okay. This is very okay, cop. <laughs> this is very okay, cop. <laughs> Uh, also, I realized I should have had Lakeith say here the blood splat patterns went eight feet and they were uninterrupted, uh, so that you indicate that's how the drop of blood got on her shoe. Right, right, right. Yeah. So just edit, let's edit that in, Ron. Yeah. It's not too late, is it? He's giving me the thumbs up from the thumbs booth. Up. <laughs> let's crack it open. Pull it from the theaters. Crack it open. <laughs> got some other ideas. Exactly. Let's do it. So now we finally get to get to Marta. And we are, oh, we have a timer up on the screen. So we are 32 minutes into the movie. I actually thought that we were further into the movie when this happened. But um, this is kind of the end of the first act. And this is kind of where we finally show our hand in terms of what's going on here. There's a line in the previous scene where Blanc says to Elliot, you've been very patient, my friend. And the truth is I'm kind of talking directly to the audience with that line. Mm -hmm. <laughs> There's been a lot of questioning, a lot of setup, and it's like, okay, now we're finally going to show you kind of what this movie's actually doing. And it's a little bit, I don't know. So this is a set. This is also a beautiful set by David Crank. Mm -hmm. That doorway that. is incredible. Yeah, isn't that cool? And that wallpaper and everything. No, 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 no. Get up! And the Go thing, that comes from you and, well, you and Steve played Go, right? Play Go. <laughs> we love Go, yeah. yeah. And it's the one game I can occasionally beat Steve no, at. No, that's he not beats true. me every time at chess. That's not true. But occasionally yeah, I, can, true. I can eke one out and go. <laughs> yeah, you beat me at chess. No, I don't think that's true. It's a great game. Go is a, uh, it's a game that kind of originated in China. Go is the Japanese name of it. Uh, because it was very much taken up in Japan. It's a game you can learn the rules in five minutes. And there's a saying that you should lose your first hundred games of Go quickly. <laughs> it's a very tough game to get good at. And it requires a level... It's on both very simple and requires a level of fuzzy thinking that's... Um, that's fascinating. There's Hello. there was a big story recently about they finally they can for years a computer could not play Go as well as like the masters and they finally they finally wrote like an AI that can play Go but it required it wasn't until it's not like chess where you can just do hard you know number oh, crunching yeah, and do yeah. it. It's not a brute force method. Yeah, yeah. So Christopher Plummer and Anna in this scene. I mean, in in the middle of what's been a very arch film to this point they have to come in and land a real emotional connection between these two pretty quickly and then they have to land this scene on an emotional level or the the whole thing doesn't work the whole movie doesn't work and i think it's just extraordinary what they're able to do here did you shoot this over two days this was more than two days. I think we're, yeah, Steve, you remember? I mean, this whole yeah. this whole scene, I feel like we were three or four days, maybe even like a week. But but this is a very long scene that includes the whole bit with them playing Go, all of this right. stuff, and then what's about to happen with the medication and Joni and, and coming it's, in. And it's every time you flash back to it. Exactly. Too, so. Yeah. 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 We consulted with a real nurse. Um, 
in Massachusetts who, who showed Anna like all the steps. There's like a saline flush that she does in between each injection and she kind of wipes the cap with the disinfectant. I was very happy there was actually a, a, a nurse on Twitter who like added me and was like, I noticed all that stuff. <laughs> it felt really good to see it like That's awesome. properly done, which was cool. Between a stage prop and a real knife. You know, I don't fear death. So yeah, this this set, and again, the dress, the set by David Crank, the dressing by David Schlesinger, all of this beautiful stuff, and just the shape and the color of it. I just love this set. It was tiny. It was so tiny. Yeah. And it was a complete tile puzzle to, to work in there. Like, you had to move one thing, you know, you yeah. had to move the camera out to move the wall to get the camera back in. And Yeah. You know. Jamie Christopher, our AD, he had joked that he was going to give everyone as a uh, as a rap gift that tile sliding game. Yeah, the... <laughs> just a tiny bit, okay? So this whole thing with, in terms of just writing, the whole thing with the mechanism of switching up the switching up the drugs. Um, this was the thing that I banged my head against the wall the longest with because yeah, did, yeah. once I, cause the, the setup was, I kind of re I was like, okay, I need something where both she and the audience crucially need to believe that she has messed up and through her error has killed him. Um, but it needs to be something that I can effectively undo at the end of the movie. And the notion of how that happened. It's easy to do that in a complicated way. I had lots of bad, complex versions of it. <laughs> Trying to figure out how to do it as simply as possible took just a lot of, a lot of time. You know, this is an interesting and efficient method of murder. Did you have a runner-up? No, it was it was always reaching towards something with like the two vials, but there were different points where I had her taking them out of, you know, a, a, like a medical compartment or like switching something it was like so it no it was it was just a fumbling towards <laughs> was was it about trying to find the two correct drugs no it was it was literally just how is this how do i boil this down to so it's as simple the, the yeah, whole the, thing of spilling the go board and them falling on the ground mm -hmm. and then her picking them up that helped a lot when i realized that mm -hmm. because that that gives you just a reasonable out in your head of oh that's why she accidentally switched them up mm -hmm. um anna's performance and christopher's performance i mean that Again, we've been in this kind of light, breezy movie, and then to really land this moment here, both of them, is such impressive work. He's not here, Harlan. I don't know what's not here. He was very happy to really get the knife in with the framing there. To call an ambulance. This was also the one scene, one of the very few scenes that we rehearsed. Um, mm. Anna and Christopher and I got together just like in a hotel room and just kind of taped it out a little bit and just figured out and not really for the emotional beats of the scene, but literally just for the blocking, just to figure out the business and the blocking and how we were going to kind of play the whole thing, which, um, which ended up being really essential. 
It's funny that adding in that little shot of Joni was actually kind of late. It was like, it was not scripted. It was, originally, we were just going to do that and we'll assume the audience would know no, that's, that's what that's But thing, yeah, yeah, we tried it and we're like, oh, that really works. Yeah. And then this shot coming up is one of my favorite shots in the movie. I was very proud of this right here. Also because we get to see the <laughs> leopard chasing the monkey. But I also just, I mean, I feel like the all the elements coming together in Nathan's music and Anna's performance here. I just, I just love this moment. Have we reached the point in the commentary where I just start talking about things I love that are actually <laughs> on screen that everyone yeah. can see? <laughs> The ability of actors to cry on cue. How do they do it? Well, I'll tell you. <laughs> Noah? <laughs> What's the trick? How do you do it? Um, the trick is you, uh, you believe that the thing that's happening is really sad. <laughs> and it makes you cry. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's, it sounds pretty intense, right? It's, yeah. why, you, it's, why, it's why you get paid the medium bucks. That's why I get paid scale minus 10. <laughs> Go downstairs as noisily as you can. So this is a fun little example of the switch perspective. We've seen this once before, and she doesn't say, God, it's midnight already. He just checks his watch in the previous version. That's because that's told from Walt's perspective, where he was just like, I did. I, you know, I checked my watch, and it was midnight. Wait, was it before or after? After the carved elephant. No, he said before. This is a, such an interesting choice here that you actually mixed up the voice. Yeah, yeah. This it, It's from her perspective, so it's like the memory up to the house take the side I'm still disappointed that you didn't uh, do buff after buff after <laughs> be after for yeah. <laughs> I was very happy with this shot that was like just on the day and all of this talk, Steve talk about this kind of nighttime stuff with the house yeah so uh, basically all this nighttime stuff around the house is either dusk for night or day for night or a combination of day for night and dust for night in the same shot actually composited together like this for example you composited in like the sky essentially right yeah th yeah that one was a dusk for night one it wasn't a composite of two but there was some work on it that was more complicated than just color correction to get it there gotcha that uh painting specifically that painting was that totally custom or did that painting no, come from something that's a real painting and and crank found that and was just like i think this would be the cool thing to have on the <laughs> this trick window gag and again that hallway was a build so we could get the specific geography of it i love that we put the lights on the where it makes no sense where the lights are at the at shin level there yeah. too to just how weird the how weird that hallway is yeah you were seen leaving. The security cameras show you driving. In this outfit with that cap, it always makes me think of duck soup. For some reason, <laughs> the way that she's moving there, it always she seems like Groucho. Remember when they have like the. <laughs> so Kay Callen, who plays great Nana, uh, <laughs> he's so good. Kay is a. Um, uh, she's an actor. Has done. Uh, she's 
been does she works and where she's done a ton of great stuff. She's done theater. She's done TV. She does movies, and she is. It should be said years younger than Christopher Plummer and she's supposed to be playing his mother and Kay it was two hours of makeup every single morning to make her look like great Nana and her performance she's doing a lot more than you would imagine <laughs> and and also that she, acting thing and I also keep she, tell, I keep telling you about it yeah, I keep telling yeah, you yeah. that this acting thing is whatever real uh, well she she was also weather cover so she had to be ready to wake up at four in the morning a whole bunch of days where she wasn't actually it's absolutely working. true you're right because she had that big scene with Blanc that was in the yeah, where, where he has the whole monologue, and that was always our go-to. Weather cover is like you always have a scene that you know is interior, that you know if it's raining or snowing or horrible outside, you can sneak, you can change the schedule at the last minute and go in and shoot that. Yeah, so she had to wake up at 4 a.m. all those days. She wasn't even working to, just to see whether she had to go in. Oh, my God. Louisa Abel was our uh, amazing makeup department head, and Kelvin Trahan was our hair maestro and their incredible work on Kay. And the family was aware of this? Yes, of course. Did you notice anything? It was pretty great. But yeah, Kay, thank you for waking up early all those mornings. <laughs> we added in a subtle little stomach gurgle there <laughs> in the mix. Very, very subtle. Thank you, Miss Cabrera. And more vomiteering. So coming up here is this is one of the very few instances where we took a scene that was supposed to go elsewhere. This this originally was later in the film. This was originally supposed to be post will reading. It's why it's as it's actually a big mismatch with her costume. That's her costume from the will reading. Mm -hmm. um, and this is one of the very few instances where we did a big shuffle and we realized sliding this earlier and we added that little line from. Uh, Michael when he walks in to kind of orient us. I keep waiting f for the big reveal. And it kind of does a little bit of a feint towards what I'm guessing some of the audience is jumping to, this the idea that maybe Harlan set all this up and he's actually still alive or something, mm -hmm. I think. That's kind of a natural thing to jump to. There's this Hallmark movie called Deadly by Surprise with Danica McKellar. So, and, and she plays <laughs> my wife, Karina, and I are big Hallmark movie fans. And, uh, and we love Danica McKellar. And she's in, she's in some, uh, some pretty good Hallmark movies. I don't know if she's done a mystery, though. They're Because they're, there are Hallmark mysteries and then there are Hallmark Christmas movies, which we're big fans <laughs> yes. of. And I don't know if Danica McKellar has done, like, a mystery. Someone will point it out to me, I'm sure, yeah, yeah. You'll know the answer soon. Yeah. I love Fran's reaction here. It's our reaction. Uh, yeah, this was, this was a, a fun scene to shoot. And this is also one of those things where it's, you know, once I kind of, the, the idea of setting the movie in 2019 and the idea of not just that doesn't mean just like giving it a modern day skin and giving everyone cell phones but that meant actually kind of doing what Agatha Christie did back in the day she was always writing to her times you know she wasn't like a 
incredibly political writer or incredibly socially conscious writer, but what she was always doing is engaging with contemporary British society in a very present way through her characters. And I think we tend to think of her books as these gilded little timeless jewel boxes. But you pick up any one of her books, you can tell what era it was written from because she's writing to the culture. And um, the idea of, okay, if we're going to do this in 2019, that means we're going to do this in 2019. And we're going to, I don't know, everyone's family after a few glasses of wine. <laughs> well, that, that's the thing, too. You're also writing to not just the 2019 experience, but the 2019 familial experience. Sure, exactly. Which yeah. is that we all, you know... This is pretty universal. We, yeah, yeah, we all have, to some degree, a level of... Uh, yeah. diversity or divergence within our families that we argue and so deal this, with. I yeah. have to point out, Don came up with that, handing her the play. Uh. And we, we actually, originally in the cut, we tried cutting back around to the other angle to see it more clearly, and it wasn't as effective. And we found that sticking with that kind of oblique angle on it was the way to go with it. Mm -hmm. Also, that song is a song by the band Spirit, and I've always wanted to use that song in the movie. I was happy it, happy it worked. What's the matter? Whoa, whoa, hey. Breathe. Oh my gosh. Marta, are you okay? Hey, friend, do you still have your stash? This room here was a room that, like, it was always kind of a negotiation. So on the wall to the left, it's framed out, but there's a huge mural on the wall. Tapestry. It? It tapestry. 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 tapestry, not mural, yeah. And it was... Uh, how old was it? Well, I forget. It's like a four hundred year old. No, tapestry. there was a sign that, that somebody had written that said it was four hundred years it old, wasn't which was no, it was old. an exaggeration yeah. just to just to really say, yeah, yeah, stay away from this thing. Yeah, yeah exactly. But it was a very old tap delicate. You're telling tapestry. me I've been thinking for a year that that thing's four hundred <laughs> years old. Four hundred years old. But but there was a, pe a white piece of paper with sharpie that said it was four hundred <laughs> years old. So. It was always a negotiation to shoot in there just because we, we kind of, and we, when we were in there, we had to be extra, extra careful. We had to be very careful in the entire house because this was, this is a privately owned home. This is like a real family's house that we were shooting in. And if you've ever been on a film set, you know, there's lots of people trotting around and there, you've got lots of equipment and dolly track with sharp edges. Mm -hmm. And you just, we, we had to, every time we were indoors, all the crew wore like, um, booties, booties, like paper mm -hmm. booties, uh, to protect your shoe, the floor from your shoes. And when we were in that room in particular, we had to be extra, extra careful yeah. and respectful. And yeah. lighting in there because we were see kind of seeing the whole room yeah. and, you know, they were very particular. We did. We were able to put some stuff on the ceiling just because there was no other way to, <laughs> yeah. to do it. But that, it was difficult to to do anything that was okay in there. Yeah. yeah. Another interesting thing: we didn't have the painting of Harlan finished until after we wrapped filming, and so every single shot that the painting is in is a effect shot. Mm -hmm. We shot with a green screen within a frame, and the, every single shot is. Uh, comped in by our in incredibly talented effects artists. Did you know Harlan? He knew my father, who was a police detective. Yeah, yeah what was, what was, where did that come from? He knew my father. Where did that, um, we just, this was kind of a, a little bit of a, we added one line here just to try and give a, just a tiny bit more context in terms of Blanc and just give him just the hint of kind of having a life outside this story. And then we had come up with this Apocalypse Now-like gag 
<laughs> while we were boarding it out and uh, Steve figured out how to kind of execute it. I love the lighting in this entire scene back here. So I, I remember when we were shooting this, it didn't start storming, but like the wind started picking up and we have big lights suspended over this <laughs> patio and they started like shaking and all of us looked at each other and we all just kind of huddled inside really quick. Gravity's rainbow. It's a novel. Yeah, I know. I haven't read it though. Neither have I. <laughs> Nobody it's, a great, <laughs> it's a great joke. Gravity's rainbow being the first book you ever gave me, Ryan. Yeah, have you read it? No. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, I'll, I'll take it back then. <laughs> I was happy that we got a kind of the uh, happy accident of this reflection of Blanc. And the relationship, I and mean, one of the interesting things to me, like story-wise, that seemed like really interesting is, is uh, do it, so we do kind of the Columbo thing where, you know, we reveal early on who the killer is um, and show them doing it. But... I realized when I was planning the thing out, well, if you could do that and have the audience genuinely be on the side of the killer, have the killer be the one who is morally in the right and who you are genuinely rooting for, then the mechanics of the murder mystery itself, the fact that the detective catches them in the end, mm. that becomes the antagonist of the movie. That becomes a thing you're dreading, even if the detective is a sympathetic character. Mm -hmm. That's why I have this line right here. This machine unerringly arrives at the truth. That's what it does. And that kind of sets the stage for the audience in terms of that's what's, you know, this is what happens in these movies. The bad guy always gets caught. And in this case, the bad guy is the good guy. And so <laughs> it seemed interesting to me. Right, it does sort of, it does sort of adjust the... It doesn't adjust the stakes, but it adjusts the definition of the stakes. Right. The, the, the definition of the stakes are we will find the truth as opposed to we will find the killer. Right. Jessica Fletcher, shout out. <laughs> shout out to the original, to the OG. There's Marlene again. And uh, speaking of Anna, coming up here is, is one of my favorite moments of her performance when she goes back out into the hallway the second time. But before that, we're going to get the actual throat slitting here, which um, is another thing where we went through. I didn't, I don't know why I didn't see this coming, but I decided early on that we, I wanted a PG-13 rating for this. And I, when I had written the script, there were a bunch more F-bombs in it. It would have been an R. And then I realized, what am I doing? I want this to be the type of movie you can go to with your family and everything. So I stripped all those out. And originally, this throat slit, I had wanted it a very expressive impressionistic like red splash not like graphic blood but just like an explosion of red towards the audience it was shocking with the color kind of like a hitchcock thing almost mm -hmm. and uh and we did that and it was great and then we got it kicked back and they gave us an r rating and so we had to slowly strip it back until finally it's all suggestion and you see no blood at all actually you just see him draw it and we have the sound effect and you have her reaction and that completely carries mm. the notion that he slid his throat i think it's still effective but i do kind of miss the shock of the although sure. i guess it's a lot there really isn't any any blood in the movie yeah in the opening you know you see you see a pool of blood you see a pool yeah. of blood but no yeah for for a movie with 
It's a murder mystery. For a movie called Knives Out. Yeah, it's pretty... <laughs> get a lot of... Pretty bloodless, <laughs> yeah. a lot of blood. Oh, wait, no, here's some blood coming up. Oh, there you Here go. Here we go. Give the people what they want. There you go. <laughs> I right. spoke too soon. Let's sell it. Sell some popcorn. <laughs> right there. So, Daniel can't whistle. So, <laughs> his bodyguard, though, Mike, can... And Mike is awesome. Mike Shout is out Ricky to J in Ricky the bottom J in the right. corner right. Ricky J in the bottom right. We'll talk about Ricky in a second. Emmett Walsh. Mm. But Mike did the whistle off camera and Daniel live. And Daniel did it. <laughs> so Mike is three feet off to the left doing the whistle. Thank you, Mike. So Ricky J, who is a dear friend, who is a, was a dear friend of mine and is one of the great, all-time great sleight of hand artists and a... Um, and just a scholar of all things interesting in the universe um, and passed away while we were shooting the film. And he was originally going to play this part that Emmett plays. Um, and um, and we, when we lost Ricky, uh, Emmett very graciously agreed to come in and, and do this part in his stead. And on the fridge at the beginning, that was a picture of Ricky in the bottom right as kind of the original groundskeeper. Um, I'm very happy we got... We got Ricky Jay in the movie in something more than spirit. And Emmett is a living legend. I mean, anyone who loves movies knows Emmett. He's, and when Emmett shows up on set, he passes out. He passes out $2 bills. Tells you if you never spend it, you'll never go broke. He passes out steel pennies. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And he passes out his resume. He gives you his resume. So this, so so this 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 icon, this the uh, lion among character actors, goes around, gives out all these goodies, and then inevitably you come up to him and you say, "Will, will you sign this for for me?" You know, the the two dollar bill or the or the resume. You say, "You know, will you sign this for me?" And he goes. If I signed it for you, I'd have to sign it for everybody. And he's right. And he's absolutely right. <laughs> he's so right. I can't. We we made the art department drag this freaking hippo out to the middle of the woods <laughs> so I'm glad we got a good shot of it and uh, Menagerie Tragedy Trilogy that was, a, that was a thing on the day where I remember asking the whole crew we need a name what, what's a name that like involves animals and it was Butch our uh, was Butch the grounds uh, the, our greensman on set oh, yeah. was it Did he, he came up with yeah, it yeah, Butch yeah, came okay. up with Menagerie Tragedy wow. Trilogy yeah, which right. is the uh, real real <laughs> test of a of an actor's uh, yeah. <laughs> ability to... <laughs> Menagerie Tragedy Trilogy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Butch McCarthy, yeah, he was our key greensman, and he uh, he won the day. This thing that he's doing in the background, I awoke a McKinnock. I don't know why I find it so funny. <laughs> anyway. It rained the past week on no. Stay there. What? Whoa. Okay. We got <laughs> footprints here, so uh, they're okay, cops. <laughs> they're just they're just okay. They're fine. They'll probably get their guy. Yeah, exactly. Stay there, Martin. No, Martin. Stay there, Martin. No, no. So, this whole kind of sequence after he's in enlisted, Marta. This sequence of her covering her tracks, basically, literally, but. Uh, with the tape, with this, with the trellis. This judge of character is a dog. To show her kind of like being active and getting away with it. Here's our dogs again. Uh, speaking of the tape, that tape playback, Nathan and I personally crinkled the VHS tape 
So on the security cameras? On the security, yeah, yeah. You mean you actually took it and... Yeah, Nathan and I sat there sat there with the, the, um, the composer, Nathan Johnson, and I took the pulled the tape out of the cassette and crinkled it really? all up to get those white lines that, oh, that's that are going through it, yeah. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the house. We added the trellis. The trellis was like our build to like kind of match the geography of what we needed, and this dog performed to a T. Originally, there was a little bit more business where she like picked up another stick and threw it, so the dog chased it and then chucked the thing the other way. But it was too much, having Blanc just stare in the distance while she did all this stuff back there. So, cut it down. Where's your medical bag? I don't know. I left it here. I always leave it here with Harlem. This one coming up's a nice connection from the stage to the to the real location with the with the window. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. And we did build like where Noah's walking down there. Like you walked through. Like we actually the, that hallway. We built it all connected. And so mm -hmm. that's the other thing with this set. It is built two stories up. So it was this tiny little set, and it was on a platform suspended up. Way <laughs> and so it was. Yeah, it was both, higher. It yeah. was higher more than it was wide. Yeah, and it was <laughs> it was very precarious. So yeah, that's this is a green screen. We're like shooting through the and here we're just this is a set. This is the set. So that was a bit of connection worked. And here's Chris Evans. <laughs> Ransom, call me Ransom. It's my middle name. Only the help calls me here. Ransom is the name of a uh, the main character from C.S. Lewis's sci-fi trilogy. And I always thought it was a cool name and I was happy to finally get to use it. And the uh, the family's names are all 70s rock stars <laughs> to help me remember it when I was writing. It's uh, Joni is Joni Mitchell and her ex-husband is Neil, Neil Young. Richard and Linda are Richard and Linda Thompson. <laughs> Walt and Donna are Walter Becker and Donald Fagan from Steely Dan. Mm-hmm. What about Fran? No, nah, Fran's just Fran. Fran's just Fran? <laughs> Fran's and what just about, Fran. What about the cops? What about... Uh... Elliot, Detective Elliot, is named after my dear friends Dan and Stacy Sheridan. Their son is Elliot, and mm -hmm. so it's named after him. And uh, Wagner, there's Frank Oz. The great Frank Oz. And Wagner is... Uh, we came up with that together. We came up with Wagner because we are both such big fans of uh, Ricard Wagner's. <laughs> it is actually an opera reference. It is an opera <laughs> reference. <laughs> so this... Any scene where the whole family is together like this, this and the Will reading, these were the most fun days. Even though, obviously, there's a lot of coverage to be gotten and... They were long days, but they were so much fun because the whole family, all of these actors just had so much fun playing off of each other. And the energy in the room was just so much fun. Also between takes, so everyone had trailers back at base camp and no one would go back to their trailers in between takes. Everyone would just go down in the basement of this house and hang out in this funky rec room in the basement. <laughs> 
around this like foosball table. Yeah, there was like an old-fashioned uh, like family rec room where yeah, they had a foosball table and a bunch of you know bunch of slap chairs and stuff, and we would just sit there playing like literally playing charades. Yeah, like a family would. It's pretty amazing. Oh my God. <laughs> we gotta do this more often. So we picked those cookies, which are Belgian cookies. They're like little... Those are the cookies you get on the airplane. When we screened in, in uh, Ghent, in, in, uh, in, Belgium, they, in Belgium, they... Um, I just heard two things. Yeah, in, in Ghent, they were like, oh, how'd you, why'd you pick Belgian cookies? <laughs> like, oh, yes, that was for you guys. <laughs> but those cookies also, after you eat one of them, you just feel like your throat's been coated in butter. <laughs> and poor Chris had to chow them down all day long. <laughs> Michael's little, like, football thing there was another thing that he came, he just did on the day. My father finally came to his senses and cut this worthless little brat out of his will. So I guess you're going to have to sell the Beamer and give your notice at the country club and kick... So introducing back. Chris's character of Ransom this late in the game... Um, it was kind of purposeful just because, first of all, we have a lot of characters to kind of introduce and settle into. He's a very charismatic element, and I knew he was going to play a big part in the story, so I knew that we could kind of hold him back. And it also is sort of a thing similar to the big Blanc scene in the beginning, just to give the movie some shape, just to kind of, at this point, we've kind of gotten to know everybody and to have this new element, this new chaotic element breeze into the movie and kind of juice it a little bit that everyone can kind of react to that felt really really good done what none of us were strong enough to do maybe this might finally make you grow up and that's an example also of like i don't know tonally with the movie we and we all talked about this at the beginning like i think a lot of people's reference for movies like this recently is clue which I love. I love Clue, and I love Murder by Death. Um, but those movies are, are parodies. They're very much like comedies. They're kind of parodies of the genre. Um, and one thing I wanted to be clear with everybody was that we weren't doing that, was that we were actually had to, we were making a murder mystery that had to land as a movie, as a murder mystery that was also fun and funny. But those little moments, like between, you know, Don dressing down... Chris, like even though this whole thing is kind of inflated and, and fun, moments like that had to actually actually land. Well, none, none of the comedy is based on making fun of the genre. Exactly. It's all situational. It's all based on making fun of the family, which yeah. we can all relate to. <laughs> <laughs> like, you could go to anyone anywhere in the world and say, talk yeah. shit about your family, and they'll get, they'll get going, you exactly. know? Exactly. It's true. So. Yeah. yeah. It's true. <laughs> This looks like a relatively fresh break. Yep, mm -hmm. right there. It's because we just built that trellis. That's it's why. So, <laughs> so coming up here is one of my favorite Michael Shannon improv lines. This whole thing, you can see Chris is breaking, breaking. up there. <laughs> maybe Harlan left you a cold glass in his will, milk in his will, asshole, is maybe my favorite line in the movie, and Shannon just came up with it. It's great. I'm going to use this moment to talk about Nathan's score because this bit is one of my favorite little bits of score and the, the theme that kicks in when Blanc gets down there with the magnifying glass is gorgeous. So Nathan... <laughs> so Nathan my, is my cousin and we've been making movies together since we were little kids. 
and he's an incredibly talented musician and yeah this here it's just so lovely and and he's a, also a director and he's a storyteller himself and that really comes through with his scores he's such a great storyteller with music in a way that never overwhelms it but also just kind of backs up what's happening on screen um you know in the way that like john williams is a master of like just a storyteller through through the music but in a way that's never overbearing and yeah and we've nathan scored everything that i've every movie i've done except star wars that he understood the game is afoot hey watson and this is Nathan's first orchestral score. We had a full orchestra. Mm -hmm. This is his first time working with a full orchestra. We went out to Abbey Road in London to record the orchestra, which was amazing. And he got to got to use some of the same equipment that we had two microphones for the cellos, and they were named uh, Paul and John. The microphones because they were what Paul and John recorded their vocals on. All stay in town until the investigation is completed. Yeah, well, he's There's another scene where it just, it was so much fun having everybody together for it. And also having Frank Oz. Frank Oz, who's playing the lawyer here, who I got to be friends with when we did the Yoda scene in The Last Jedi. And Frank is such a lovely guy. And I also grew up watching him pop up. So Frank, besides being obviously Yoda and Miss Piggy, he's also Fozzie Bear. Uh, Fozzie Bear, and he's uh, he also though is is an incredible director. Dirty Ron Scoundrels is one of the all-time great con men movies. Uh, Muppets Take Manhattan. Muppets Take Manhattan. He did Little Shop of Horrors is mm -hmm. one of the great movie musical adaptations of all time, and he's just an incredible guy and. I had also seen him pop up in little roles, uh, like in the Blues Brothers, and little cameos. John Landis would always put him in stuff. And so I said, why don't you come on down and do one of those? It'll be fun. And I didn't realize till he was on set how big a favor I was asking of him, because I <laughs> genuinely don't think he enjoys doing it. <laughs> but I think he was so good in it, yeah. He had a lot, he had a lot of fun. He had a lot of fun when he realized that it was a, a, a hang time. Yeah, exactly. When he when he went into that rec room and sat down with a half dozen actors in between takes and just well, got and also, to talk about when he was on set, all of these all of these big movie star actors, it was like they all just gathered at the feet of Frank Oz. Yes. It was like, yeah, everyone just wanted to hear stories. It was you know? hard, I think, for him to not enjoy the attention. I of think so, yeah. Some of the, and, and some of these people, they, they knew him, and they had been colleagues or worked together in some way, you know, and, yeah, and yeah. The, uh, small world stuff. And he, I think he enjoyed it. Yeah, no, I think he ended up having a good time. But it was really sweet of him to come and do it. And how cool is it to have Frank Oz in our movie? <laughs> <laughs> It's pretty awesome. All my assets, both liquid and otherwise, I leave in their entirety to Marta Cabrera. My entire ownership of blood like wine... When Nathan does musically here, it's really nice because he doesn't overplay it. It's just a very subtle thing. He lets it just kind of hang. Had you tried it both ways? Did you try it with a big... Well, we tempted it with, I think we used In the Hall of the Mountain King as the temp for it, and it was just a little too on the nose. No, that can't be. Can I see and, uh, and it wasn't until Nathan got in there and kind of did this, it really kind of like 
clicked. And this was really fun, just kind of, because everyone is just kind of improving a bit here to fill up this space. And so talking about how he was on morphine and all this stuff. You know, he was on medication. He was on medication. you this piece of paper and And then Jamie just cuts right through. And get out! And you but this was a fun example of... Right now! No! <laughs> You're about to deferentially leave. Yeah. Of, of, of lots of moving pieces with everybody and trying to figure out how to block this so that it all worked. And everyone's in motion and everything. It, I don't know. All leading up to this one beat. This is my friend... Carrie Francis is playing the, Likewise, the assistant here. To Dearborn Drive and all belongings therein, I leave to Marta Cabrera. I vividly remember the moment when Jamie realized that it was going to be her pointing yeah, at yeah. and having that moment of realization, and she just beamed. <laughs> she knew, oh wow, that's it. We just, we just set a, yeah. a foundation for this huge moment. She was so excited. Also, Jaden Martell, who plays Jacob, who is awesome, he came up with that line, you had sex with my granddad. <laughs> and, and it was so sweet because it was almost lost. And then Michael Shannon came out to me and said, Jaden has this really good idea for a line. So we set the shot. So, Let's talk about this shot, though. Oh, yeah, so this, yeah, Steve. Oh, yeah. Uh, so this is something we've tried to do before to lesser effect, but uh, we start on a completely smooth dolly, and then as the chaos ensues, we go into handheld mid-shot. Mm -hmm. And uh, that also included having to paint the dolly out of the shot. Um, yeah, which mm -hmm. eventually comes into the shot as, we as also, it swings around. Did we somebody did a little thing right there where we're on a long lens on the top of the car, and then when we boom down, it's actually a hidden cut to a wide oh, lens inside yeah. the car, which I like. Yeah. And, and it, it also goes back to not being handheld too, yeah. on that. Do you down. just do you just pick it up? Do you just pick up the camera off the Dale, dolly? Dale did. Dale did. Yeah. Dale in there. Yeah. MV MVP Dale. Yeah. Dale, our camera operator, uh, yeah. on this and on Looper. And their, and their dear friend. Uh, so he just picked it up off the dolly. Yeah, so we had it. Basically, we had we had rubber matting so that it was there was friction and it wasn't sliding around, but it wasn't actually locked on like it normally would be. And I think, if I remember correctly, Terrence, our B camera operator, was operating the head, and then Dale was walking with it, and then he just lifted it up. Wow. Yeah. This restaurant is called The Flat Penny. You can find it. <laughs> and if, you, if you look, it's uh, right next to a railroad tracks, which is where it gets its name. Kids would stick pennies on the railroad tracks. And it just looks like this. You can go in and have, have lunch at the Flat Penny. It's <laughs> absolutely delightful. They have a bar. So why? This is one of the uh, few um, recorded soundtrack songs yeah. you have playing in here, which is Sundown? <laughs> Sunday? No, not yet. This one initially in the diner is Larry Norman, and it's a song called Righteous Rocker. Larry Norman was a, um, he was one of like the very first kind of like Christian rock guys, and he, his music is great, and he's kind of, he's fairly obscure, but he is, um, he made some kind of, uh, at the time, fairly radical kind of uh, Christian rock albums. And How'd you find him? I read an article about him, and um, 
it got me interested because I had grown up, you know, I grew up very Christian when I was younger and I was, so I was listening to, you know, what were we listening to back in the day? Like Michael W. Smith and like, you know, the, and, uh, but also like in high school listening to like Christian, punk, local Orange County Christian punk bands, like One Bad Pig and like <laughs> <laughs> really black and white world and like, you know, stuff that just, you know, uh, so I don't know. I have a soft, soft spot for that stuff, and and Larry Norman has got some great tunes. And so I was happy to get Righteous Rocker in the, and also thematically, it kind of fits in a bit with the movie, which is pretty nice. I know three things. And poor Anna had to shovel down beans for take after take. <laughs> Anytime you see an actor eating in a movie, pity that actor because <laughs> poor girl, this was a lot of a lot of beans. It's just it's all yeah. It's also. It's beans. It's, beans. it's not, you know, it's, it's not, not. It's not nibbling at a, yeah. at a salad. It's no. not nibbling at a salad. It's yeah. not, you know, a nice clean chicken breast. It's no. just, it's a bowl of beans. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you like beans. <laughs> hey, boys, have some beans. Better have some beans. <laughs> uh, but very New England, you know. What are they? What else? Yeah. That's what they eat there. Beans. I like that uh, Chris's sweater has gotten some attention. We're now we the movie came we, 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 as we sit recording this. The movie came out last weekend, so it's been fun. We got to see some of the reaction to it, and I like Chris's sweater. Although some people were saying, "Where can I get the sweater from Knives Out?" It's like, "Where can you get a basic cable knit white sweater?" <laughs> Old Navy Pro everywhere has that sweater. The question is, how can I look like Chris Evans in that sweater? <laughs> and that's a, a little trickier. <laughs> Work out seven hours a day, exactly, yeah. eat incredibly well, have the best genes <laughs> of all time. <sighs> this was a fun scene to do also. These guys really dug into it. <laughs> and Frank was so terrific in this. And I love Carrie sleeping in the background. <laughs> but Steve, this was tough lighting-wise for you, right? Because the fire... Yeah, so so all of the all of the night stuff in the house, even though it, the windows really face out into the, the real outside, was done during the day. Mm -hmm. And um, so we had gels on the window that, that gave us that dim glow out the window. And then, as you can see behind him there, the, that dim glow is the actual sky, but it's daytime sky cut way down. And then, yeah, we... Um, you know, we had talked about just doing something different for this scene, so we kind of went with everything's firelight, mm. even even though the, you know, there isn't actually any more firelight around. <laughs> it's right. still just that one, right. but just to just to distinguish it. So we kind of went uh, a little a little bit surreal for this one, but it, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it works. I also like how Michael Shannon says like OJ as if he's remembering a distant war. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a trauma. Yeah. I, I love Frank's reaction where he's yeah. like he's talking to a two-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. So it does sort of it does it does jibe with Frank. Yeah. This sort of patient, patriarchal, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sort of perfect casting in that yeah, respect. Exactly. He has that vibe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah for example the painting in the background being a green screen at comp even in like this shot right here of meg that was a green screen behind her and the effects guys had to replace that with the painting that we finished later on the magic of movies that's another insert shot that we got that was from our insert day and we spent like an hour trying to get the perfect with 
Which was also a green screen too. The, yeah, that's the right. The glass was in front of a green screen, it. and they and they and they found uh, repurposed some shot from the from the diner it's just there. Ridiculous, because yeah. we probably could have just used <laughs> textured fabric and made it work. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so when we come back to this scene, we've hopped over to the other side of the line just to kind of give us a. a a difference, a change, but also change. to give us depth, though, because before yeah. we were, we could see outside, and now it kind of would have been into a wall at, at yeah. night. Too. Yeah, that's so. true. Yeah, exactly. I love, I love Chris's performance here. He really just pulled it back really, really small, and I don't know the fact that and Anna's reaction to him is both very straightforward I also find it very funny that he's so self-absorbed in that moment (laughs) (laughs) also also Ryan you had this so well in your head how it was gonna be edited that this when we shot that stuff for the for the flashbacks at the end yeah we literally just did exactly the moments that we're gonna that we're gonna be in it so we actually like when we set these shots up even though they're static we were on a dolly ready to do the push-in for the yeah, for the um, oh, that's right. You know, yeah, for, yeah, you know. Yeah. So, so then we were, then we we're just like, okay, now do the one line for the yeah <laughs> for yeah. the flashback, and we'll do a fast push in. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It was that's incredibly right. efficient, which was only possible because of how well you knew. Oh, well, we were moving relatively fast. We shot this movie in thirty-five days, about seven weeks, and uh, which is you know not fast for our, it, movies are shot much faster, but it, it's 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 not all the time in the world, you know. Yeah. And I love Steve had this gag of when we dolly over here, this is supposed to be kind of like the light from the window next to her, but just this weird transition. It, it just a way of giving it kind of a dynamic shift at this point in the scene, especially with a lot. You've been talking a lot about with long scenes or over the course of the movie, just looking for shape, looking for ways to kind of delineate. Um, yeah, and we went a little a tiny bit surreal here because uh, we actually dimmed that blue light way up as she as she leans into it, oh, and, then, yeah. and then it dims back down as she turns. And she I turns love the shot of Catherine here. I think Catherine's terrific in this scene, and both Catherine and Anna just have on screen just a presence. There's just there is this indefinable thing about some people, about some faces. I remember Michael Slovis, the uh, DP for Breaking Bad, would talk about Brian Cranston and talk about how there's no bad angle to shoot him from <laughs> and how there's just something magical that happens when you look through a camera at him. And uh, you know, these actors have that too. There's there's just something. Thanks. It's incredible, <laughs> these two specifically. No, yeah, some people yeah. have it, some people, yeah. some people don't. Yeah, I mean, some of the actors in this movie. Some yeah, of them yeah. have it, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and this light gag uh, that's, that Steve came up with, with the, with the eyes that she was going to step into. But not only is it cool, it's credit to Catherine, because in the middle of this very intense scene where she has to land this real kind of tortured moment she also has to perfectly hit this bar of light <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. in her eyes that is difficult challenging yes. on several different <laughs> yes. levels not only is she giving a great performance here but she's technically trying to hit a moving dartboard basically sundown there it is. Gordon Lightfoot that's where it's at which you know who like sent me a message after the movie came out, Patton Oswald, in asking me, did you put Sundown in there as I- intentionally as a reference? Because 
I guess, do you know what Sundown, what he, who he was writing about? Mm-mm. He was writing about, I forget her name, but writing about um, the woman who, uh, I guess, was the woman who was in his scene, but also, like, she was the one who accidentally injected Belushi mm. with, with the drugs that killed him. Or that gave him, like, too big a, too big a dose. Wow. Yeah. And so, and <clears throat> Patton, who... You know, is brilliant in his thinking in terms of like three D chess. Is like, was that a crazy like <laughs> reference Whoa. to Marta's situation? I've like, wow, no. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was pretty cool. Marta Cabrera or her exact relationship. Was this a, a, a local news guy? Yeah, Gary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, it's it's his uh, his credit there, Ross Alexander. That's my buddy Alex Ross, who writes for the New Yorker. I wanted to have give him the byline of the New Yorker story, but for some clearance reason, we couldn't. Oh. And so I snuck in Alex's name, Ross Alexander. That's Bob Doucet, our editor's CD player <laughs> that we got as an insert. He has a <laughs> he has a fancy CD player. He has a solely wow. fancy CD player. Oh. And here's Kay. And I think Steve's lighting in this scene is some of my favorite in the movie, particularly those close-ups of Kay. There's something just so beautiful about about them. Um, to do this dolly that's coming up, there is actually a dolly track in this shot, and it was an effect to paint it out in the foreground right here. And originally this scene was much longer. There's, much, there's, there's a bit more of Blanc's... Um, monologue at the top that's left on the edit room floor that was very good but it was just kind of a pacing thing the first to console you one thing that was fun with the lighting here is that we were we were still able to continue that winter steely feel even though it was actually sunny during this during this scene yeah so even though even though it kind of fits in with everything else and feels like that steely winter window light it was it was actually sunny outside Mm. using the plopping this uh Aria from La Traviata in there was uh, was kind of a, a late ad. For the longest time when we were showing rough cuts of this, we didn't have any music under this at all. And um, at some point, the, new, the notion of putting that in, and when we put it in, it just instantly, the scene kind of clicked into place. And then Bob told you he had a nice CD player. Exactly. <laughs> it like, all comes oh, together. We were like, oh, we get like a cutaway of like a phonograph to set it up or something. And we are like, well, it'd be funnier if it were... A really nice CD player. <laughs> and Kay right here. I mean, it's a performance that could very easily be mistaken for do- her doing nothing. She's not doing... She's doing quite a lot. She's really listening, and there are such subtle things in her performance. I think it's a really... The reason that... It, it's fun watching it with an audience, because Great Nan always gets a reaction, and that's a real credit to Kay. I mean, she's really... Uh, and Jenny Egan, who is our costume designer, I did criminal I have not talked about until this point, <laughs> um, with all those dozens of furs that Kay's wearing, but with all the characters, the fact that Jenny had a tricky task was, was she had to make every single person in this movie feel as distinct as the cards in the game of Clue, mm-hmm. but not without feeling, uh, but without feeling costumey mm. and and. They needed to feel modern, and they needed to feel just like real stuff that people would wear. And the fact that she uh, pulled that off, and Jenny's terrific. And she didn't just pull it off with 
you know, color palette is there, but she also pulled it off with, you know, the just on a stylistic level. I think like Walt yeah. here has a very specific kind of sort of square dad, mm. you know, <laughs> sort of lands yeah, and Noah Segan, kind of Noah Segan yeah, look. Yeah. Noah Segan vibe. But then compare that to compare that to Richard, uh, right. you know, and and who's very sleek and very, right. you know, and and yet so it's not really it isn't just like Colonel Mustard. Right, yeah. It's not a it's not a costume or a uh, it is a costume, but it's not a, yeah. a, a uniform, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah. Were, was Kay's glasses was that uh, was that uh, uh, costume design or props and did Kay pick them out? Or? I can never. No, I think I I picked them out you based on because I wanted them to really magnify her eyes. Kay, could, that's yeah. the other thing about that's amazing about Kay's performance. You can't see a thing <laughs> because those are real glasses that really magnify her eyes to give her give that effect. But that means you can't actually see Daniel when she's looking <laughs> at him. This hallway was a little build that we did, a little funky build, and Steve came up with the idea of having these these lights kind of lining. These Which feel a little a little loopery. Yeah. It feels like it could have been a hallway in looper, like that yeah. hallway could still exist in 30 years. Yeah. And we kind of overplayed them being sodium lights, or actually kind of almost oranger than real sodium lights even, just to give it that creepy, yeah. that creepy hallway. Yeah. And Michael Shannon's so good. Again, the fact that he can be kind of like a comic character up to this point and then land, and then kind of like ease back into slightly threatening, scary mode while still feeling that they like that character. It's pretty great. Okay. Because Harlan gave me all your resources. So that means with my resources, I'll be able to fix it. So I guess I will find the right lawyers. Uh, Marta, that's... Better be sure that's... Kaboom. So this is a set, and then we are here back to our practical apartment that we shot the Marta family household in. Back to day two. Back to day two, <laughs> exactly. Mm -hmm. And especially in a movie like this, I mean, credit to the actors for... Uh, I mean, it's just hopping around is tough in any movie, shooting out of sequence, but for something like this especially, just to stay oriented. Oh, it's tough. I remember with the ransom note, sitting uh, with... The, sitting with uh, in the photocopier <laughs> at the props department and doing it over and over. It was almost like performing, trying to get the exact right amount of warp and like to the, to the, to the, to the bad photocopy. <laughs> this scene was a real bitch on set and in the edit. It was just, it's just, a, I think it's, I realize it's because it is just a little connective ex expository scene. And on set, I remember us struggling, like, okay, then there's a lot of information here. How do we make this feel like it's not just a lot of information? And then in the edit, it was the thing we worked on more and more, and we just ended up stripping it down, stripping it down, stripping it down. It's always the little ones that, that get you. This was a DMV, a defunct DMV that had been empty and abandoned, and we built the, the kind of uh, the part that actually has the fire in it uh, that's kind of like broken on the right there. That's a little extension we built and then we just painted it and added like the insignia on the front. 
And these are uh, working firemen from mm -hmm. the area who came down and uh, came down to act in the movie. Which also meant if there had been a real fire at any moment, they would have been called away. <laughs> Which probably would have been worse for whoever had the fire than for us. So. <laughs> true. Very true. Okay, cops. <laughs> okay, cops. Although I gotta say, I did all that driving coming in. I know you, you did know, very I was, good. I was you didn't kill, proud of my. You didn't kill anybody. I didn't kill. <laughs> didn't kill anybody driving yeah. in like that. Stopped on a dime. Exactly. Yeah. You know? Yeah. This is the worst hiding job a person has ever done. <laughs> no, they, they think they're fooling. <laughs> yeah, I, would, I love this is my, one of my favorite moments because they're like the only car. They're parked 20 yards away, and they're very recognizable. Well, but if you shrug your shoulders, people can't see yeah, you. That's so. true, yeah. <laughs> we had so many phone inserts. Ashley Connor, who was our uh, second unit DP, uh, did a fantastic job all around. She just did great. Uh, <laughs> and and she was sidled with so many, so many inserts of clocks and phones. <laughs> They're looking at each other in the eye from 40 paces away. That's <laughs> <laughs> the gag. The dumbest car chase of all time. Here we go. <laughs> This is another one where we didn't have music under it for the longest time. For the longest time, I thought that we would just play it with sound effects and do like a Coen Brothers thing. And then Nathan came up with this score and it just, it made the whole thing work. I'm also very happy with that insert of the rear view window, mm -hmm. or the rear yeah. view mirror. Feels cool. Pickles in pursuit no down force. Washington Street. Make, make sure you say no force. No force. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're okay, cops. We We're, have no idea how to how to engage in a. So that was, and that pan was a thing where I I boarded that pan from one to the other, and Steve was like, "This is going to be a nightmare timing this perfectly." And so we actually shot that as a big wide and did that pan as a digital move, yeah. zoomed in mm. on it. So it's this shot, actually, but like in and like we did a digital move too. Oh. Why, why, why are we stopping? Why are you stopping in the middle of the road? <laughs> and then we had like half a day with our, uh, what's the name of the rig that we use? There's like eight different things you use. It's not oh, Russian. I, yeah, I just, I call it a camera car because the, yeah. they'll get mad at you if you call them their competitor the name. Yeah. Thing? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Here's but. a brick reference right there on the left. Do you see the brick tunnel thing spray painted on the wall? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, when I, I, I had this slated in as a car chase in the movie that ended unsuccessfully and, you know, my buddy Edgar, Right, had just made Baby Driver, and I was just like, well, there's no way we're going to top anything in that, so let's go the opposite way and just do the <laughs> silliest car chase of all time. <laughs> Feels a little more realistic and a little more fitting with the tone Whatever of the movie. You want, I'll say yes because, you know, just to get that report back. Get it back and destroy it. I love that when Blanc is uh, pointing to the phone, that the problem isn't that they can't catch up, but they can't go slow enough. Like, yeah, he's exactly. actually yeah. falling past him. Yeah, that's true. Get out. Yeah, I also love the number of times people shout at Lakeith or he tells other people, get out. <laughs> like Jamie Lee Curtis yells, get out at him. He says, get out here. 
She drives there. It was not intentional. Pat him down. Check him out. What's going on? I remember this moment grabbing when I grabbed Chris's arm and I could not find purchase upon it. <laughs> it was You're... like his muscle, his arm muscle was much larger than my hand could grab. Your tiny, ineffectual paw. I realized. <laughs> it was like was... a raccoon grabbing an oak tree. Thank God. <laughs> Thank God I am acting in this movie. Oh, my God. <laughs> If it's not too late, Rom, to shoot an insert, I realize she should have, like, grabbed an air freshener off of the dash <laughs> and put it down next to, the, next to the puke glass. One of those sprays. Can, we go, little... can we go back and do a little... Let's shoot it right little, now. Do shoot it right now, yeah. <laughs> Car stuff is always such a pain in the ass. So what's actually happening here in all of these shots is this car is being towed. We are sitting in the truck that's towing it kind of looking at a shaky monitor, listening to on, on headphones to the performance. And uh, the camera's like mounted on the front. And then you get a couple passes and you can barely hear what the actors are saying. And you're <laughs> bouncing around in the back of this truck and you just kind of do your best and hope that you get what you get. Um, it's why so many people do, do green screen or process work, um, which I didn't want to do for this I, I always always want to like actually shoot it shoot it if we can and also we get all these reflections in the foreground that worked out and but, and that light interaction you can you can do you can do some type of realistic light interaction on yeah. stage but not that particular kind usually so and that's it's one of the few things where it's and i'm i'm happy we didn't get a ton of pushback because it is infinitely easier to do it as a as a process thing and there's always an argument to be made for doing it that mm -hmm. way and it's to my mind just always so worth it if you can do it for real i think we had our one thing was if the weather is really awful on that day we'll have to do a process but luckily we got luckily we got lucky we shot this scene on halloween this was, was this your first day of shooting? No. Your second no. day of shooting? It was the no. first week, but first it was, week. I think it was like first day week. three or yeah. four was, or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, but this was on Halloween, and I remember it because it was the spider day, mm. and our spider wrangler, our lovely spider wrangler, showed up with all these spiders on Halloween. <laughs> it was so cool, and we all got to like play with these terrifying spiders, and, <laughs> and Edie was such a trooper. I realized when we showed up the first day i was like i should have asked you before we showed up here if you're afraid of spiders <laughs> she and she was totally fine with it she's like no i love it and she uh but she had to hold still without spider crawled across her face they were friendly spiders they were nice spiders it was also funny because this looks like this here on set of course it's not this dark and so when anna was like performing she could just see Edie right there and Anna was I, I had to really explain to Anna no when like when we do the finished film it will be silhouette and dark and you won't be able to tell but it's funny because a lot of times on set some of the the scenes that are the darkest in the movie are the most lit up sometimes yeah, I mean depending yeah. on situations but you know that, yeah exactly you know a lot of times because the only way you can get the darkness is to expose for something brighter mm -hmm. and then right. that's you know and that, yeah. yeah exactly when Fran breathes for the first time, we put the sound effect of a snapping twig in, and she breaks it. Yeah, it kind of breaks the. And our uh, 
and our sound designer, Al Nelson, and Ren Kleiss, who was our uh, who was our sound mixer, along with Dave Parker, who was our dialogue mixer. Um, they were incredible. There's a lot of amazing, really subtle work in it. Oh, I got a sound question for you that I should have asked earlier when when we were on that scene when the when the go board gets knocked over. Did you did you guys try going way softer with that? Because it that was as soft. We went as soft as we could with it. Um, went as soft as we could with you buying that. It you know it, we, okay. the thing is we well, we didn't want it to be remember the gag and the get smart thing where mm -hmm. it's the helicopter like the silent helicopter and it's like. Uh, shh, shh. <laughs> with the blades, like we couldn't push it right, right, to, right. to that point. But like, yeah. did he know Follies? By the way, uh, did he know this one hundred percent before? Well, he didn't know one hundred percent. Like, yeah, ready to go, you know. But uh, but he knew it. And I was also happy to get a Sondheim reference in here. So Sond Stephen Sondheim, who um, obviously is one of the all-time great uh, musical theater composers and lyricists he he was also an avowed mystery and puzzle nut mm -hmm. the uh the character that in the film of sleuth that Laurence olivier plays is this is kind of like i don't think this is apocryphal i think this is true it's kind of based on stephen sondheim mm. and the working title of the play sleuth when when anthony schaffer was doing the play was who's afraid of stephen sondheim Hmm. because he was a puzzle and game nut and he would do these elaborate game nights with all of his rich friends where he would like do murder mystery parties that he would write and that's what the last of sheila the last of sheila which is an amazing 70s whodunit that everyone should go watch um that was written by sondheim and anthony perkins they co-wrote it together and it's it's a story of like a rich writer who like has a murder mystery party with all his friends and that goes horribly wrong and it, Sondheim based it on what he used to do. The one non-musical play that Sondheim ever wrote was a murder mystery mm. called, yeah, called Getting Away with Murder, I think. Um, they ever put that up? Yeah, briefly. They, yeah, <laughs> yeah, ran briefly. Yeah, so happy to get Stephen Sondheim in there. And then she said... You did this. You won't get away with it. And Very happy with the, I called the reflection gags we got with the house. Yeah. The shooting it's very there. subtle, but we were actually doing a polarizer rack. Polarizer is a filter that either cuts out or lets the reflections through. Mm. And we were actually adjusting it during the shot. Mm. Interesting. Oh. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, has she come to her senses? Well, she's standing right there, Richard. She can speak for herself. Is the rest of the family here? Uh, in the living room. I think it would be better if we were to get it again. We'll get this over with. That uh, obscurum, obscurum per obscurious, out of the obscure, the more obscure. <laughs> That's the kind of like his motto. Can you see that printed? I guess they're blocking it now. It's on the door. Wasn't that also a thing in Young? Didn't Young use that phrase, I think? Oh, maybe. Obscurum I don't, per I don't know. Yeah. Anyhow. <laughs> God, I'm so rating Fran Stash after this. Uh, and then here's a little callback to Fran Stash. And we get our last little scene in my favorite room in the house. <laughs> and this time for the with uh, back to that steely light. And this clock was one that Schlesinger found with the, I think he found the statue and like mounted and mounted it on top of this little box thing so that it would work with our, with our gag. Just hand her to you. 
Oh, you're not much of a detective, are you? Well, to be fair, you make a pretty lousy murderer. Perhaps we deserve each other. So this was the first time, like, everyone was actually here. And this was the first time Daniel acted in front of the other actors. We shot this before we shot the library stuff. Everyone had done their own little scenes at this point, a little bit here, a little bit there. Nobody had seen Daniel as Benoit Blanc until we rolled camera and he came forward and did this <laughs> and busted this out. And this was, this was kind of, it was almost like he was stepping out onto the stage in front of everyone and show, and everyone was like, oh, this is the movie we're in. <laughs> also, the dog's reaction that is the dog's genuine reaction to Blanc saying that line. We had an A camera on Jamie and a B camera on the dog, and so that is actually, was, excuse me, the dog. <laughs> Very good dog. The manner of death in the case of Harlan Thromby is ruled as suicide. Yeah, he for it. I also like the little owl put in that little... Dog reaction. The dog is very <laughs> the dog is very concerned about the suicide. <laughs> is anybody else confused? And this was an uh, on set. <laughs> that wasn't planned. I just kind of at the last minute we were just lingering, and I shouted at Kay, "Do a little laugh!" And she busted that perfect little laugh out, and it was the good button for the scene. <laughs> So now we sweep into the denouement, to the final kind of like library scene, and the, these two camera opposing camera angles where we're gliding in and out, back and forth. I, I wanted to kind of just get as much motion in as possible and kind of wake the audience up a little and say, okay, we're in motion here, things, something's gonna happen. And then this, so this donut whole speech, so I almost cut this from the script. When we were rehearsing, when I was just going through the script with Daniel, I was like, eh, I don't know about this donut hole speech. It's kind of silly. And he was just like, oh, I'm, I kind of like it. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, we'll try it. And then I remember being on set and just watching the monitor as he did this and just, like, sold it with the conviction of a crazy preacher or something. It's not whole at all. And Anna's reaction to it just cracks me up. <laughs> Lakeith trying to keep it together. <laughs> so Lakeith Stanfield, I want to sing the praises of Lakeith Stanfield real quick here. So I had been a, uh, a fan of Lakeith's from Atlanta and from Sorry to Bother You, which the Boots Riley movie, that was one of my favorite films of that year. It's, it's a brilliant film, and Lakeith is so good. And what he's doing in this part, I think it's easy for it to kind of go unappreciated because it's a sort of thing where it's an incredible level of difficulty for him to kind of ground this whole movie with this character. And if he does it incredibly well, it's not a flashy thing that you notice, unlike a lot of the other performances in this. And so it's easy to kind of take it for granted. But what Keith is doing scene to scene in this movie in terms of just bringing kind of like a grounded believability to every step of this ridiculous mystery. Um, he's doing a hell of a lot to hold the 
hold the movie together. And that worked right there. <laughs> this knife sculpture, uh, I had written in the script that I wanted something like a religious icon made out of knives, and they found this industrial barbecue grate and mounted all the knives on it. And we managed to hold off doing like the, we always mid did it like offset until I was like, we gotta wait until this shot to like perfectly line his head up with it. And I feel like even the shape of Daniel's head works perfectly in the middle. <laughs> I told them everything. I figured it was up. I'm sorry. Also, partway through the shoot, one of the grips came up to me, and he, like, nodded at the thing, and he was like, I saw what you did there. And I was like, what are you talking about? He goes, the knife donut. I was like, yeah, that's right. It's very on purpose, yes. Why you hard me? So this denouement scene is... is this type of scene, the detective laying the whole thing out, it's one of my favorite types of scenes. And it's something that I find like so perfect for the language of cinema. Um, repeating callbacks to the exact same shots from mm -hmm. slightly different perspectives, but or yes. even just recontext the exact same shot, but recontextualized. I'm a sucker for that stuff, mm -hmm. and this just this type of scene just lets you dive full on into it. I was a little nervous, the length of it, um, and so I went back and I looked at like, I looked at the original Murder on the Orient Express and Death on the Nile and Evil Under the Sun. And no, man, those are like 20, 30 minutes. <laughs> and those are not long movies. Like, it's incredible to how much of the movie is the wrapping up thing at the end. But you understand why? Because it's so much fun. It's just like the most fun part of the movie. I always, in, 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 we've been doing, I've been going around doing like Q&As basically, like, you know, for the past few weeks at different theaters. And I will always sit in the back for the last 30 minutes and watch this scene. I never get tired of watching these actors kind of pull it all together. That's some heavy-duty conjecture. Granted, but it is the only way what comes next makes sense. So Daniel had this whole last sequence, this whole, like, last 30 minutes. He had this all down like a stage play. He could have gone on the stage and done this whole thing and performed the whole thing. Um, it was kind of incredible to the point where I had had all my little shots broken up for how to cover it. And then I th kind of threw all that out the window after day one and realized he had this down and there was real benefit to letting him build up ahead of steam and letting him mm -hmm. go. And so I started just making the shots simpler and adjusting them so that we could carry longer and longer chunks of this monologue in single shots. And there, there were more than a couple of times where we absolutely just he just he ran through the lion's share of it mm. and we would then just take a big long break and like get yeah. some coffee and like yeah. take a deep breath and you know i'm also pr very proud that chris got his foot up on the sill there it's a tiny <laughs> little detail that matters to me and also we we were paid very close attention to the clock here and i remember like advancing it like one minute when he leaves the room making sure that we got that right the Slayer rule would nullify the change will and you would get your share back. And Chris does such a good job in this. He's just listening for the majority of this, but it, it, you always feel him, his presence in it. It's a tough thing to do. You 
to sustain for that long. A life-saving antidote. No, 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 that's impossible. It is the truth. Hand me that bottle. Here's another insert that we, from our insert day that we got, which is this shot right here, just to show that slight little hesitation when she picks up one and then picks up the other to kind of sell what we're about to, to peddle to you here. Yes. But not accidentally. I taped over the label of these two vowels. So this kind of additional layer that she kind of like picked up the right medication, not out of accident, but because she's good at her job and just like instinctively, instinctively knew it. This was kind of like a lot because it, it works without it. It works if she had just dropped the things and kind of like accidentally mixed them up. But this thing that Blanc lays out here, which is a such a nice little moral button to the whole thing, the credit for this goes to my friends Dan and Stacy Sheridan, who are um, two a screenwriting uh, duo, who uh, husband and wife duo, and my dear friends. And I, they're the first people I show any script to. And um, they were the ones who pitched this to me when I mm. first get this 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 whole notion, and I think it puts such a lovely emotional little little bookend on on just Marta's character, and that's the Dan and Stacy beat right there. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> and yeah, just Lakeith's ability to kind of like he's been the straight man, and yeah. that he has these really human moments that yeah. he comes in with that are like, yeah, wait, no, these are all real, these are all real people. Yeah, exactly. Are you back again already? Because earlier that night, Marissa, you're back. <laughs> mm -hmm. Stupid on, with two O's. This is stupid with two O's. We went back and forth. I don't know whether it was too silly. I like it. <laughs> Almost cut it. We have no real proof of mixing up the also, this look that Daniel's rocking here with the tie tucked in and the mm -hmm. sleeves rolled up. I don't know where that he came up with this. He's just like, yeah, I think he used to be a cop. And is it, I'm like, okay. Is that a cop thing? I don't know. <laughs> I guess I've never seen a cop be. with his... Tied it feels copish, doesn't mm. it? It feels like he's getting to work, you Maybe know? Maybe like an old-timey old British school? cop. I Maybe. don't know. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I like it. But I love the I love the look. I don't know. He first busted it out. I was like, oh, that could be cool. But of a slit throat and a suicide. It was nice when I was writing the, uh, the part of Blanc. I... Uh, I think I started making him a lot more quirky than he needed to be. Oh, wait, hold on a minute. We have Noah's... Noah's moment here. I'll, I'll be quiet for this. Benny, look, I, I hear what you're saying. You're just... The body. So, <laughs> so was that something you came up with on the day? And like, or was that something that we I, I had think, talked about? No, and I, think I it was, was like, no, let's not do that. I think it was something that we had talked about and had messed around with during, maybe during a rehearsal. Yeah. And people had liked it during rehearsal, and I had liked it during rehearsal, and it was such a small moment within this big yeah. momentum that we had to maintain that I think you very graciously said, all right, we'll get it later, we'll get it later, but we've got to cover 
you know, the, the meat and potatoes of this scene. We got to mm-hmm. get it down. And I just kept on in your ear going like, you know, like, can we just get that moment? Can we just get that? And, and you very graciously <laughs> were like, you know, yes, we, we, we found it. Let's, we'll yeah. let you, I'll let you have it. The other thing everyone should know is we shot this entire scene. Where was this? This was like a couple of weeks of shooting probably for this whole scene. It was, it was like, like eight, a week. It was like eight days or like something. Like eight days of shooting like for that. this whole yeah. thing. And then at the very, very end, literally the last day, the last shot that we got for the whole movie was Noah's coverage for this scene. For the entire scene. <laughs> the for the entire scene. These, first of all, poor Noah, for the, like, Noah and also the, all these poor actors, Daniel, he had just like flushed through eight days and I think he had already like let it all, he had already pulled the cork and let it all out of his memory, the whole thing. <laughs> so he's like, oh my God. And we had to remember all the blocking so that yeah. Noah's eyeline would work. Yeah. <laughs> and we set a camera on Noah and ran through the entire scene and got Noah's close-up reacting to everything, and that was the final shot of the movie. Yeah, we, and we, we had all these mini marks for for, uh, right. for Daniel so that uh, Noah's eyeline would be right, so when he's supposed to be like pacing all around the room, it's like, okay, take one step over yeah. here when you pace all the way yep. across there. And That's right. So he was doing this this little dance and had he to redo the whole... He was doing this little dance, and yeah, and I, and, I think, and I think that that shush, because of that, how that coverage worked, yeah. it was like that shush was very genuine because I was really watching yeah. this scene play out, and I was like, no, 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 I just really am interested in knowing how this goes. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like we were down the rabbit hole. The, the character and the guy became one finally in that moment. It was the perfect thing to end with because everybody <laughs> loved Noah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, here's those little things that Steve was talking about where we just did push-ins for these one single lines. But yeah, we had, we had the camera ready to go. Just one last act. In for a penny, in for a pound. My editor, Bob Doucet, I watched this sequence and I just marvel at Bob's work. He's, uh, he's really incredible at storytelling and at performance. He's, he's the whole package. I don't know if anyone can tell, but the jug he throws through the window are the jugs that are in his apartment. And we set them up. And if you look in the scene with him and Marta and the ransom note, one of the jugs is missing. Yeah. That's how clever we are. <laughs> I am forced to point it out myself. <laughs> John's cleaners and tuxedos <laughs> didn't work out. I knew you were a no good son of a bitch. I knew Harlan wouldn't just kill himself. Yes, ma'am, you're right. I knew something about that performance where Mm. Chris? He's, yeah, he's yeah. he's gone so cold. Yeah. So an interesting thing with the Hugh you thing is how similar like especially poor Edie was like croaking out that like <laughs> like that like that Yoda's, you know, croak. And especially there, it's damn near impossible to differentiate between you and Hugh. Mm-hmm. And so the degree to which we had to exaggerate it to <laughs> even make it clear here is kind of silly, but it's where we had to push it to to make it land. And we did, like, several different versions of it, and that was, like, the most elongated, extreme one. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. And it would have worked. We hadn't have brought you in for questioning, so you could not make your anonymous call. So, example, stealing this stuff and just flashing to this stuff, that, that was something that we found in the edit room. That was something that wasn't written in the script. It was just repurposing other shots and just the realization that the more you can hear a dog, see a dog, the, the, the clearer all this stuff is and the, be and the better it all works. And pointing out Nathan's music again here, the fact that emotionally he brings it back and lands it in the place it does here is is, is pretty gorgeous. Oh yes, friend, who will confirm this very story or summer close to it and send you, Hugh, to jail? Now, uh, she's getting this phone call. Yeah. And is she yes. is the person on the other end of the phone call saying Fran? Has just died, and, and she's, she's saying, saying that's yeah. great news. She's get, she's committed to the lie because she knows it's the only way to. So, somebody at the hospital is really confused. That's I what know. I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, want, I want to know what the backstory is for the person at the hospital. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> what, yeah. Why? Yeah. From their perspective, yeah, they're jerk. calling the police over at the yeah, hospital. Exactly. Lady yeah. Sounds like a real schmuck. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I always love watching this with audiences. It's fun hearing who gets it when and who sees it coming. And Anna also, once you once you know what's going on, the the way that she's tearing her eyes are tearing up as she tries to not. <laughs> it's pretty perfect yeah. in a way that looks like it might just be the intensity of the scene, but <laughs> that you, clenched jaw. Yeah, yeah. Once you know, you know. <laughs> Holland, he bought this place in the 80s from a Pakistani oh, real estate shut billionaire. Up, Long, shut up! <laughs> shut up! With that and this was a moment with Chris that we worked on a lot on set to try and figure out how to... Because it it's very much kind of like a moment you've seen before of, yeah, I did it, and I'm proud I did it. Having it, I think Chris really sells it well, and... I don't know, he, he, we figure out a way to play, he figured out a way to play it that really, really makes it work. And then this little stomach sound that mm -hmm. Al found mm -hmm. here. Oh. <laughs> so that stuff was, uh, that's kind of like apple cinnamon baby food with <laughs> chunks of like stuff in it. I actually, it, it was like, I remember going outside with the actors and like I had to, it was like a, a, a father getting their baby to eat something. I like had to eat, yeah. eat some oh, yeah, of it myself. Oh yeah, you gotta eat that first before <laughs> yeah. we do, yeah, yeah for exactly. sure. Exactly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And also, this is what you see here is like after it actually got sprayed in his face, and then everything after this, we had to like reapply it. And I kept like saying more and more and more when we were applying, and Chris was like, I think that's enough. I think that matches. I'm like, no, very more in his face. These slow mo shots were fun because we shot them incredibly high frame rate, and they are literally just falling through frame. And so we would shoot it and then all gather around and see what we got. And <laughs> it was fun. It was like a sporting event. And the sound effect, again, Al's work with the sound effect of the knife going in and really selling that. And then this sound effect here of the squeakiness, and I just kept pushing it so it was sillier and sillier. <laughs> <laughs> And the timing of that, I remember working on that really closely with Chris on the set too. It's like, pause, down, <laughs> er, 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 er. And, like, <laughs> and Steve, you came up with this shot. 
which is gorgeous. It's a terrific button to the scene. Yeah, this was really fun to set up. We uh, no, no panning or tilting. It's just the it's just the jib going up there. Mm. Nathan's tune right here. This music, and as we have the completion of the baseball, bringing us back around to calling out Richard. But Nathan's song here was so beautiful. But when he first laid it down, it was just the piano. And it was too somber, like it needed more energy. And I listened to it and I was like, oh, we're, just, we're at the end of the movie, I don't want us to have a lull here. And so we went back in the studio and recorded this drummer. Oh, that's Raul right there. And you can see that's a vestige from when she recognizes that he's the cop, that he was the guy outside the house who was the gangster. Well, if you watch the deleted scenes, this will make sense. There was a deleted scene where that makes sense. Anyway, we went in the studio with this drummer and just kept telling him wilder, wilder. I kept yelling, I kept saying like, more like Animal from the Muppets. Just <laughs> bang the drums crazy and it gave it the energy it needed. I think Jamie looks so cool here in this outfit. Jamie Lee Curtis for James Bond. <laughs> Start the hashtag. feel like I've won. You guys are talked out. I talked you guys out. <laughs> I'm just it's enjoying just the movie, carrying, man. I'm just enjoying it. the movie. <laughs> this is, this is uh, my finest work. What about his um, upcoming uh, uh, Black Eye? That was an ad in post that's a visual effect, and that was a last-minute thing where I realized it'd be nice to show that she got... She an got, immediate, he got her come, his comeuppance. Yeah, an immediate comeuppance as yeah. opposed to. So we painted uh, a black eye on him. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. I love the lighting in this close-up, Steve. That's a beautiful close-up there. Yeah, this was uh, very fortuitous that it was this late when we shot this, and then we went back and kind of changed how that other stuff looked to make it dusky, which is such a great... That's right, the outside stuff, we timed it cool and dark to kind of match this, because when we shot it, it was just kind of bright and neutral. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was it was overcast, but it was just regular day overcast, and yeah, yeah we made it look dusky, which is way better uh, thematically, and it worked with... Um, yeah, with how this worked. Yeah, yeah. With, the, with the actual time of day in this one. Yeah. And here comes the ultimate needle drop. Sweet Virginia. <laughs> well, I won't say the dollar amount. <laughs> <laughs> and we do a little thing here where we tweak the painting for this final shot, just leaving everything feeling okay. Sweet Virginia was a song I had in my head since I was writing. And I've had that with like a bunch of other scripts and have never ended up using the song I had in my head band. This one, we were able to use it. This shot right here is a visual effect. And so originally you could read the writing on the mug in that shot. And we realized it tipped it for the final, it, the, the last shot didn't have the same impact if you had already seen the words. There's his black eye, there's a shiner. Mm -hmm. And so uh, our effects guy basically moved her hand so it was covering the words so that uh, we got the final little reveal Love that the dog is there. <laughs> my house, my rules, my coffee. And I drink my coffee out of that mug every day now. <laughs> Love it. That's where that mug went. That belongs, that's property of Lionsgate, you bastard. <laughs> Knives, the title treatment of Knives Out, I'm gonna talk about it real quick over the credits. It was a 
my cousin Mark Johnson, who's Nathan's brother, it's a family operation here, did the uh, did that title treatment, and he based it on, he recreated the uh, title of this, this series of Agatha Christie paperbacks. Uh, it was a, one specifically for her book, Curtain, and they just had this specific font that I loved when I was a kid, and so that's a recreation of that. And then these little portraits that are coming up are Mark and Nathan's other brother, Zach, Zach Johnson, who's an amazing artist. Who is Wonderful painter. Incredible painter who's done a lot of work for us over the years. And uh, these are his kind of little clue board sketches of everybody. And how, how big are they? Uh, the actual things themselves, I think, are fairly small. Yeah. It tends to work pretty small. Yeah, they're just, the detail is beautiful. Yeah, they're really gorgeous. They really capture the characters. I have to say, as someone who worked as a movie usher when I was in my, in high school, I, I also love having just a good tune over the credits because I know that that's when all the ushers are sweeping up and we want to give them something good to listen to. So all the ushers out there, this is, this is, this is for you. <laughs> Should we just sing over the rest of it? <laughs> no, anything you want, anything we missed? Anything you want to talk about? I mean, I think, uh, look at that guy. Uh, I, you know... It captures the essence of you. <laughs> it captures the essence of me <laughs> in my baseball tie. Uh-huh. Um, no, I think I think we we talked about uh, talked about quite a lot here, didn't we? I think we like, we covered quite a bit. Steve, anything you want to leave the folks at home with? Uh, no. I, Do you I, think there's anything I'm, Rom would like to say? I, okay. I'm sure there probably is, <laughs> but he's not here, so he but doesn't he is get to not say it. Here, you know what? You got to show up. That's, that's the number one rule of commentary tracks. You have to show up and talk into the microphone. Uh, thank you guys for watching. If you're listening to this whole thing, listen to watching Knives Out. I guess we'll let you uh, tap your toes to the Rolling Stones and, and listen to Nathan's score. Good night, folks. Thanks for having us. Thank See you. you. <laughs> <laughs> Knives out. Bye-bye. <laughs>